Welcome to pairing episode four, The Fellowship of the Ring, part one. This is the second installment of our Middle Earth and Old World wine series, wherein I pair each place in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien with a different wine region in Europe. I had originally planned to release all of these episodes sequentially, but then I realized that maybe not everyone likes Lord of the Rings quite as much as I do, so I decided to give you guys a break between them. So I'm sorry for all my references to last episode, which is actually, in fact, three episodes ago. Apparently, I can talk so much about these books that I've decided to even cut these episodes in half to make them more digestible, if you will. So this is only the first half of our discussion of The Fellowship of the Ring, but don't worry. For those of you who do enjoy The Lord of the Rings as much as I do, I'll be releasing the second half very soon. If you're just tuning in, welcome. You can totally start here, though I do recommend listening to episode one first, just because it's the first in the series, if you have the time and the stamina. It's like reading The Hobbit before The Lord of the Rings. It's ideal, but you'll still figure out what's going on even if you haven't. For those of you who have been listening already, thank you so, so, so much. I can't tell you how excited I am to be getting comments, feedback, and requests from you, dear listeners, so please keep it coming. There has been some demand for a listener request section, and I'm going to start including that with this very episode. Feel free to send us more of those requests and anything else you'd like to say on any social media platform, at Pairing Podcast, or on our website at thepairingpodcast.com. So now, I'm going to start off with my first response to a listener question, which happens to be pertinent to this episode. Someone on Twitter asked me if by listening to the show they would find out the difference between Claret and Cabernet Sauvignon. If you didn't listen to the Hobbit episode, I established that Claret is the British name for Bordeaux, which is a wine region in France. When I saw this question, I realized one glaring omission from my explanation of Old World wines in this series, or at least something I haven't stated explicitly. As I've mentioned, Old World wines just means European wines, but there's one big key to differentiating them from New World wines, which is super helpful when going into a wine store. I would say about 90% of the time, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, Old World wines are named for the place that they come from, while New World wines are named for the grape that they are made of. So, for example, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Chianti, Rioja, Champagne, Valpolicella, Priorat, Muscadet, these are all names of places, while Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, etc. are names of grapes. So, if you see Bordeaux, or Claret, on a label and it's a red wine, it means it's some blend of the five grapes of Bordeaux, which could include Cabernet Sauvignon. But if you see Cabernet Sauvignon on a label, it's probably predominantly, if not 100%, Cabernet Sauvignon, probably coming from the United States, Australia, Chile, Argentina, South Africa, or somewhere else that is considered a New World wine region. There are some exceptions, like the grape Albariño, which I talk about in this episode, and also some European wine producers are putting the names of grapes on their labels for marketing reasons, but for the most part, this is the rule, and it's super helpful in understanding wine and deciphering wine labels. And now for my requisite corrections, clarifications, and disclaimers. Just quickly this time, folks. First, I talk about this thing called botrytis in this episode, and I can't believe that I forgot to mention its colloquial name, which is noble rot, and happens to be one of my favorite terms in the whole wine world. Second, I also say at one point that Col Veteraz is the quote-unquote most high-end producer of Prosecco, 
That's not necessarily the case, but they do make a damn fine Prosecco coming from Valdobbiadene, which is considered the quote-unquote highest-end region for Prosecco, and one of my favorite wine regions in the world to say. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoy pairing, please tell your friends and families, and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, as that's one of the best ways to get more people to listen in. Without further ado, here is episode four, The Fellowship of the Ring, part one. So, here I am again, and welcome back. We're now going to talk about the next installment in the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit saga, which is, of course, the first book of the Lord of the Rings called The Fellowship of the Ring. And... A lot of people might disagree with me on this, but this one is actually my favorite book of all three or four, depending on how many you want to include in within the uh, umbrella of The Lord of the Rings. Um, and the reason why is because I really feel like this is the this is the book with the most kind of emphasis on the journey and the and um, meeting all the characters, with a few exceptions. Most of the characters you meet in The Fellowship of the Ring. And, um, and it's just exciting and fun to go to all the different places. It really feels like, like a journey. So I've chosen a wine from one of my favorite regions, since I'm talking about one of my favorite books. And uh, I chose a Tuscan red. I'm going to have a whole episode soon talking about Chianti and Brunello di Montalcino. But this one's fun because it's just kind of a declassified uh, Toscana Rosso, they call it. Um, but it's from Villa Antonori. And um, Antonori is one of the oldest families in Tuscany. Um, they've been around since the 14th century making wine. They're now kind of like, you know, the, the, the big name, one of the big names in Tuscan wine. Um, but this is just their kind of like their, their Tuscan red. It's a nice introductory level wine to, to that style. So this one that I'm drinking tonight, it's mostly Sangiovese but it's got a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon and a little bit of Merlot and I think a little bit of Syrah in it. So um, it's super fun and it's about, I got it on sale um, for about $16 and it's usually about $20, give or take. So again, you know, maybe maybe not an everyday drinking wine for everybody, but it's a nice, it's a nice treat um, if you want to spend like around the $20 range. I highly recommend it. All right, let's get started. So just like last time with The Hobbit, I'm going to start the pairing process, if you will, with a grape and character pairing. So last last time we started off with pairing Bilbo, and I chose Cabernet Franc as Bilbo's spirit grape. Um, and so it feels only right to begin talking about The Lord of the Rings proper with Frodo Baggins, Bilbo's nephew, who is undeniably, I think, the central, the main hero of The Lord of the Rings. There are a few different heroes' journeys in The Lord of the Rings, which is kind of fun. You get Aragorn, you get Frodo, even like Faramir, and uh, a couple others as well. And, it, and you know, every single character at least grows and goes on a journey, if you, even if you can't quite call it a hero's journey. 
check out the the Hero's Journey episode on uh, Spirits podcast featuring Misha Stanton, a bunch of my favorite podcast people all getting together talking about fun things. But anyway, so talking about Frodo Baggins, I thought a while for a while about what's the right grape to pair with him, and I ultimately decided on Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir is a grape that many consider to be the finest in the world, particularly when it comes from the region of Burgundy in France. Uh, In this region, Pinot Noir is so elegant but so complex, um, has a little bit more tannin and grip to it than like an Oregon or a California Pinot Noir does. Those tend to be a little bit more kind of just like silky and smooth and, and a little bit more fruity and less less tannin to them and I think that Frodo's got a little bit of both of those qualities to him he's very elegant for a you know a pretty small strong creature um and you know light in body because he's a hobbit Pinot Noir is usually pretty light in body it's not like a full-bodied grape but it can have amazing complexity to it um and so and I think that Frodo is you know by the end has an immense amount of complexity to him. So that is my choice for Frodo Baggins. If you got a different idea, let me know. (laughs) I also wrote in my notes, some of the greatest wine is Pinot Noir, and Frodo is indeed the finest of us. And I, I think that's true. So we begin the Fellowship of the Ring in the same place that we began in The Hobbit, so which is, of course, the Shire. And so... If you didn't listen to the Hobbit episode, basically I said that the the region I would pair with the Shire is Bordeaux um, because Bordeaux and England have such a connection to each other, um, and they have traditionally for a very long time, and, uh, and the Shire is so obviously based off of England. And so I was trying to think of a different region to talk about for uh, for the Shire as well because you totally, I could totally find something, but... Instead of doing that, I thought I'd talk a little bit about um, different, different sty- a different style uh, or a different place in, uh, in Bordeaux, and that is dessert wine coming from Bordeaux, which is also known as Sauterne. And so I chose Sauterne because it's sweet wine, but if you taste a Sauterne, you'll never think of sweet wine the same way again. It's got this like richness and complexity to it. Um, it's great not only with dessert, but with blue cheese. If you're into blue cheese, like a creamy gorgonzola, something like that is delicious. Oh my God. And I just thinking, you know, like Sauterne is definitely, dessert wine is something that you really should pair with food because um, otherwise you're just kind of drinking syrupy sweet stuff um which is fine if you're into that that's cool um i personally prefer to have it with some food so the main name to know in uh in sauterne is chateau yakem some of the bottles of chateau yakem sauterne can be like just absurdly expensive absurdly expensive thousands of dollars stuff like that um, but you can find you can find other other kinds of Sauterne that are uh, a little less expensive. And just a quick, I just I thought it might be fun to hear about how some dessert wines are made. Um, and Sauterne is actually made from botricized grapes. So you might have heard of if you like beer or uh, you know other kinds of funky wine, you might have heard of botrytis. So botrytis, and this is going to sound bad, 
is actually a kind of fungus that grows on the grapes and kind of shrivels them up and gives them this really interesting kind of rich funky taste um and it's not a flaw it's it's just a, a style of wine um which is which is something fun to know um this is my my first wine fun fact of the day um for example a lot of people think that if there's sediment in the bottom of a bottle of wine it's a bad sign it's actually a really good sign um it means that the well it means a whole bunch of things but basically sediment in the bottom of a bottle is a good thing you just got to be careful when you get to the bottom of it it means it's been well made it means that it's kind of a proper age and um in big in all all sorts of other things but don't be afraid of the sediment um it's actually it's actually good it's not so pleasant to drink if you know you get down to the bottom of the sludge um so watch out for that but uh but don't think that there's anything wrong with your bottle of wine if there's sediment there and so it feels especially right to have so turn for this iteration of the Shire because it's all about Bilbo's birthday party and um and there's lots of lavish food and drink and they're mostly drinking beer I think that's what they talk about but there's wine too and you know sweet cakes and all that sort of stuff and I think I think uh, so turn would fit in just fine at that party so part of what I love in the movie adaptation is that like from the time that Bilbo leaves to the time that Gandalf comes back and tells Frodo that he has to go take the ring or, you know, something has to, you know, that the ring is evil, essentially. Um, in the in the movie, it seems like, you know, maybe like a month has passed, maybe a couple months, like, but not very much time at all. In the book, it's 17 years. So Frodo, you know, he's he's 50 now. He's the same age that Bilbo was. And I love it because Elijah Wood was like 18 when they filmed The Lord of the Rings. And, uh, and it's just funny to me that he's supposed to be like a 50-year-old hobbit. But anyway, they, they changed that. Artistic license. That's cool. That's cool. I'm, I, I thought Elijah Wood was great as Frodo. So I'm, I'm happy with their choice. But so Gandalf comes back and they kind of glaze over this in the movie. But there's a, there's a little mini story arc in... Uh, in the book, a little journey, a little mini journey um, through the Shire and out of the Shire. And so the first place that the hobbits go, so Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, they've they've all come together at this point. They know what's up. They know what's going on. And so they're going they're going on this journey. And Merry is like the guy who knows who knows where everything is. And so he's kind of the guide. And so he decides to take them through the old forest, which brings us to our second forest wine. Woohoo! The first one, in case you weren't listening uh, to the previous episode, or haven't listened, I should say, to the previous episode, was Mirkwood in, in The Hobbit. And for Mirkwood, I chose the wine region of Priorat, which is a region in Catalonia in Spain. Oh, Winston's coming! Hi. Hi. Would you like some wine? Yes. Excellent. I already talked about this, but uh, we're talking about this this uh, Tuscan red mm. that we're that we're drinking while talking about the Fellowship of the Ring. And the reason why is because uh, Tuscany is probably my favorite wine region, and uh, the Fellowship of the Ring is my favorite book. Yeah. Also, it's, it's got that idyllic. 
kind of... Well, we'll get to that. Oh. We'll oops. get to that. We're not there yet. Oops. Well, I meant the Shire, like... Yeah, the yeah, the Shire, the Shire is pretty idyllic. Rolling hills. Yeah. yeah. Very pastoral. Yes. But I'm going to pair Tuscan, Tuscan Reds with a, with a different place that we go to in the Fellowship of the Ring oh. in just a bit. Okay, I jumped the gun. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Anyway, we're talking about, okay, so talking about uh, Priorat being in Catalonia. Um, that was the the wine that I chose for Mirkwood, and that was the first of the forest wines of mm. the Lord of the Rings. So for the old forest, I chose Montsant, which is um, just outside. It's like just outside of Priorat. If Priorat's like here, obviously you can't see this, dear listeners, but I'm holding my hand in like a circle, and uh, Montsant is just kind of all around it. Oh, I see. Yeah. And so Monsant is considered a lesser wine region, but um, still makes really awesome wines that are like thick and dense and earthy and fruity at the same time and not quite as complex and not quite as intense and dark and deep as the wines of Priorat, um, which is why I think Priorat was right for Mirkwood, like with all the spiders and the darkness and the density. Mm. Um, but Monsant is a little bit lighter while still having that kind of spiciness and earthiness to it. And the old forest is like kind of scary uh, and kind of murky, but not nearly as bad. Um, That's the one they're riding through on like the way to to uh, meet Strider or... Well, they, they don't. That? They're they're going to meet Gandalf and Bree. Oh, okay. But they they go through. This isn't in the movie. This is just in the book. Okay. Um, they go through the old forest, and Merry right. and Pippin uh, get, get sucked into, uh, Old Man Willow. The the, oh, the Willow hole of the tree. Lights. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's later. Oh, geez. but <laughs> but but so there's this. Basically, they all get really sleepy, and there's this great willow tree that kind of starts pulling Mary and Pippin down into it. <laughs> yeah, it's very scary. And I think it's I think it's Frodo that is the one that's like, we gotta get out of here. It's either Frodo or Sam. Um, but I think Frodo's the one who kind of has his wits about him at this point. I see. And so they're like trying to figure out what's going on. But they can't they can't help Mary and Pippin on their own. And so in arrives Tom Bombadil, the greatest character lacking from the movie version of the Lord of the Rings. I I get it. I get why they cut the Tom Bombadil part because it's so it it really breaks it, the tone. It it really interrupts the, yeah. the tone and the action yeah. of it's the It's like, oh, we're in the Hobbit for a second. Yeah, exactly. And so like um I remember him from the BBC um, Yeah. The Mind's Eye recording and it's so it's like super freaky and it's like the 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 hobbits had no idea what it and then all of a sudden it's like he comes singing around the corner and he's like tom bombadil bom 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 bombadil yeah it was it was it was like a south park character yeah yeah pretty much pretty much and um so peter jackson tried to put like little references to tom bombadil in in the movie, and actually in the in the extended edition of the Two Towers, there's a scene in Fangorn that is basically this scene of Merry and Pippin being sucked into the ground by oh, this tree, and instead, and instead, instead of uh, Treebeard to- comes to save. Yeah, exactly. I gotcha. Exactly. So anyway, so there's references to that. So we're about to get to Tom Bombadil, but before we totally leave the old forest and the re- the wine region of Montsant, I just wanted to give a couple of recommendations uh, for different wine producers in that region. 
Lay it down. Um, I guess I only have one. Um, <laughs> and it's there. There's lots. I'm just not super familiar with all of them. But there's one wine called Clos Denis. So C L O S space D E space N I T. But I love I love the Clos Denis. It, and it's like twelve bucks on the shelf at most. Um, and it's just really nice. It's very smooth, but has some spiciness and a little bit like dark fruit to it. But it's not too tannic. It's it's really good. Really, really good. All right. So this, the big scene missing from the movie, Tom Bombadil and Goldberry, his wife, who's like kind of just there. Just as yeah. fleshed out as all the other <laughs> female characters, huh? Yep. Well, there's a couple. Tolkien definitely fleshes out some of his female characters, more so in the Silmarillion than he does in uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. But like, I think that Galadriel and Eowyn are both more like three-dimensional real characters. Arwen is just there in the book. She literally does not do yeah, anything. Yeah, they really pumped up that character They, for the they really, really did. <clears throat> um, but anyway, so for Tom Bombadil and Goldberry, I chose sparkling wine because they're such like... They're bubbly. They're so bubbly. They they're are. so happy. But they're like... You know, Tom Bombadil's like the oldest creature on Earth um, or one of them. And... Like, no one knows exactly who or what he is. He's probably one he's of a, the Maiar. Oh, um, he's like a... He's, he's like... just a chillin' Maiar. Yeah, I think... He's I the think stoner Maiar. Totally. Totes. Because <laughs> um, he's very hobbitish in disposition. He is. He's very jolly. He's very... He's kind of like... Like, what... Like, Old Man Christmas or Yeah, it's whatever. sort of... Yeah, like, I don't yeah. want to, like, mix books too much, but it does kind of remind me of, like, when randomly Santa Claus just shows up in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yes, Because he's totally... They're much, deus ex machinas kind of in the same way. Totally. You know, hey, you've been having a hard time. Well, here's something we're gonna sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. presents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> yep. Um, so, chose sparkling wine for for Tom Bombadil and Goldberry, and I'm definitely going to do a whole episode about sparkling wine, or several episodes, but I just wanted to give a quick rundown, quickly, of the different types of sparkling wine, because everybody knows champagne, but oftentimes what, what people think is that champagne is just ubiquitous for all sparkling wine. Um, champagne just means sparkling wine from the region of Champagne in France. And it tends to be very expensive and really fantastic. I mean, if I could drink champagne every day, I would. But for those of us who can't, there's also the wine regions of Prosecco in Italy and Cava in Spain. Again, 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 Catalonia, which may or may not be Spain by the time this episode is released. Um, (laughs) So... So, so that's that's another pro tip um, is if you're going into a wine store looking for sparkling wine and you don't specifically want champagne, ask for sparkling wine and not and not champagne because it, it's not like I don't care, but most people come in to the wine store and say, I want a bottle of champagne that's inexpensive. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you're pretty much looking at 30 bucks and up uh, at at the very least. So you probably are looking for um, like a Prosecco or a Cava or a, or a different kind of sparkling wine. Plus Prosecco and Cava both make uh, 
like really nice brunchy cocktails. They sure like do. Prosecco makes Bellinis, and what's the one that Cava is typically used for? Uh, mimosas. I mean, I mean, Prosecco oh, okay. uses it, it. Mimosas you can use either Prosecco or Cava. Cava it tends to be drier than Prosecco. Mm-hmm. Um, Prosecco can be kind of fruity and almost sweet. Mm. Um, not not. Not always, but, you know, it's usually dry, but it has just a little bit, it's like a little bit lighter, it's a little bit fruitier. Um, They're made in different ways, um, which I'm not going to get into because it's it's a little complicated. But Prosecco is made in a different way than Champagne and Cava are made. So Cava is actually a little bit closer in some ways to Champagne because it's like a little drier and a little richer. Hmm. Prosecco tends to be lighter and fruitier. I Um, did not know that. Yeah, there you go. So here's some recommendations for uh, different producers. So if you're feeling fancy and want like actual champagne, one of my favorites that's not too expensive, and it was actually Winston Winston Churchill's favorite. Oh, I yes, yes, yes. Um, it's a total selling point. Um, Paul Roger is uh, is Winston Churchill's favorite Bring champagne. Bring me another glass of Paul Roger. There you go. Um, you've probably heard of Dom Perignon. Um, that is, you know, one of the more famous champagnes and it's definitely, you know, it's kind of big and corporate at this point, but it's still fucking delicious. Yeah, it's a Um, big brand. Yeah, it is, but it's, it's really good. And then there are some smaller producers. There's tons and tons and, um, I'll get into that at some point, but a couple of my favorites, if you find these, um, Pierre Peters makes amazing, amazing champagne and, uh, Robert Monquis. Uh, those are two of my favorite kind of smaller producers. And then for Prosecco, uh, which tends to be much less expensive and delicious as well, um, Adami is one of, considered one of the best producers of Prosecco. Um, Jayo, which you remember that, that, you know that sparkling rosé that we have, you bought me Ooh, four bottles of? Yeah. That's Jayo. That's I love their stuff. love their Prosecco and their sparkling rosé. Um, Cold Veteraz is kind of the... Uh, most high-end producer for Prosecco. So if you're feeling really, really fancy, if you want a really, like, complex bottle of Prosecco, uh, Colvetteras is the one to go for. And then for Cava, um, I'm kind of pulling this pulling this out of my uh, you memory. <clears throat> memory. 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 Out of I, my memory. Yeah, Come on. Um, <laughs> and, um, because I didn't write this down, but, um, Raventos is one of the oldest producers of cava and they make really wonderful cavas. Um, Permata and Juve Camps. Those are, those are all good. I'm going to, you know, write all these in, in the show notes to go along with this episode. So you, so you'll be able to actually like read along a little bit with what I'm saying or be able to look up what exactly I'm saying and see how terribly I mispronounced it if I did. So that's what we're talking about. So, so Tom Bombadil, Goldberry, Sparkling Wine. Yay! Bubbly! Bubbly! <laughs> and, uh, but then they go to the Barrow Downs and it's really dark and dreary. I didn't pair anything with the Barrow Downs because... Because you didn't have time to drink I, wine. You know, there's like, there, yeah. You, you gotta be on your toes. Yeah, you gotta be on your toes. So keep drinking the champagne that you were drinking while yeah. while reading Tom Bombadil just to get you through the darkness yeah. of the bear downs. Hold it as a happy memory, like yeah. in Harry Potter. Exactly. Some of your Patronus. Yeah. <laughs> I think my Patronus would be a, would be a bottle of champagne. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, a shooting cork would be really helpful. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's true. 
So, Winston, I'm glad that you're here to talk about the next place that our heroes go to. What's which is, that? Which is Bree. Oh, sweet. Um, because I was trying to pair something with Bree, and I'm like, no, it just has to be beer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and Winston is much more of a beer drinker than I am. And um, and like I've said, I want to have I want to have some people on the podcast who can talk more about beer and the history of beer and the technical stuff about beer that I just don't I can't quite wrap my head around. But so beer and brie, yay! Yeah, I have to say I think if I was gonna, I mean I I like IPAs because I'm mm-hmm. like not trendy or hip, and I know that everyone's moved on to cool sours and oh my god, and IPAs now. are so 2010. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? But um. I I was thinking though because IPAs are so bitter and so high in alcohol content that's not really a hobbity beer. So no. um but I was thinking actually the hobbits would be more in line with like the current trend so their mm-hmm. the beers they would go for would be like more of a farmhouse ale yeah. or a scotch ale or even just like hefeweizens all year round cuz they're hobbits yeah, and they you know kind of like sort of yeah. sessionable You never really hear about winter in the shire. You know, it's I think a... winter happens in the Shire. No, but I know it happens. Really, really I'm not saying it's eternal it, yeah. summer, but yeah. it, does, it doesn't But seem I think like... you're, I like farmhouse ale yeah, for, sounds... for Brie. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. Which, by the way, if you can find a Boulevard Brewing Company, they're based in Kansas City. Their Tank 7 farmhouse ale, it is awesome. It is so, so good. I'm not so much of a beer drinker, but I really, really like that beer. And... Uh, it's complex, but it's not too hoppy. Yeah, it's got it's got it's got it all going on. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that's about right. Like more kind of like Cezanne type type beers. Also, buy yourself a Stein because they're fun. Yeah, for sure. Just for remembering sure. the Yeah, song. yeah, yeah. The, it comes in pints. But the only brew from the tried and true comes from the Green Dragon. Ding. Also, this like the first time I realized this was like two weeks ago that Brie is a, what do you call it? When a, it's all the same letters if you rearrange them. An anagram. Is it an anagram? No, that's when you rearrange it and it's something else. It's a palindrome. Palindrome is when it's the same one when it's the same backwards, backwards and, and forwards. So what are you talking about? I think I'm talking about an anagram. Oh, uh, how is it an anagram? B R E E is Brie. B E E R. Is beer. Oh, got it. I'm up there, to speed. There we are. We, thanks. Tell us, tell us how how stupid I am in the uh, <laughs> in the comments. I'm pretty sure I am the one who is the one. That no, is the one. no, 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 <laughs> no. We were both struggling there for a minute. Whoops. Whoops. All right. So, in Bree, that's where we meet Strider or Aragorn, as we later know him, uh, and. Um, and so then th- he's leading them now towards Rivendell because it turns out that the plan of meeting Gandalf is not really working out. So they don't know where Gandalf is. Oh no. So Strider kind of takes over and he, he's leading them towards Rivendell and they go to this place called Weathertop, which is kind of this like ancient ruin, like it's the ruined watchtower. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's an old watchtower. It's um, from like the first war or something. Or yeah, the yeah. Age or whatever. Yeah, I think so. And so, um, at Weathertop, they have they have a fight with the, uh, the or an, a little altercation with uh, the Ringwraiths, um, which is no fun at all for and Frodo. He literally lives with the wound for the rest of his life. 
I know. They're the Nazgul, right? Yeah, Same they're the thing. Nazgul. Yeah. Say, I remember the thing. Yeah, way to go. Some people are confused because, and I and I see how this is confusing, is because in the Fellowship of the Ring, when they're riding on horses, they're referred to as the Ring Wraiths. I think Aragorn does call them the Nazgul, but then once they start, they have these like evil demon birds that they ride, like kind of like dragon bird creatures. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then then they're only called the Nazgul, and so I think a lot of people think that those weird flying creatures are the Nazgul, but it's the it's the nine ring wraiths. They're, I think it's it's more that I mean it's just speculating, but to me it sounds more like Tolkien since he was working with epic poetry all the time, and mm-hmm. they always use those epithets or epitaphs mm-hmm. or whatever. That mm-hmm. you know how like you know, Achilles is like, you know, something at arms and rosy fingered well, dawn. And well, Nazgul, like... I believe, literally means ringwraith in oh. in the dark speech of Mordor. Well, there you go. Yeah. I'm wrong. Well, Let us continue. Well, but no, but you make you can make good points. Like I think that Tolkien does do that a lot. I think just in this case, it's a literal translation. Yeah, but like it, when they'll be like they'll be talking to Aragorn and instead of Aragorn or Strider or whatever they'll call him like son of Elendil son, son of Arathorn son of Arathorn yeah Isildur's yeah. heir Isildur's heir yeah. yeah he's got like a lot of other he titles he does he does he's got a million titles but so anyway so so we're at Weathertop and the wine region that I'm pairing with Weathertop this one was kind of a stretch but um, I chose Rias Baixas doing a lot of Spanish wine so far you know I've never even heard of that. Yes, you have actually. You don't I've know. You don't know that you've heard of it, but you know Albariño. Oh yeah. Albariño is the grape from Rias Baixas. Oh. Yes. So it's it's a case of like sometimes it, with European wines you know the wine by the place, and sometimes the grape is more recognizable. So like Bordeaux, Bordeaux is a place. Um, Burgundy is a place. Tuscany is a place. Chianti is a place. But most people, I think, don't say, ooh, I want a Rias Baixas. They say, I want an Albarino. I see. So, Albarino, if you haven't had it, go get an Albarino. They're some of my favorite white wines. They're crisp, they're dry, they're minerally. They've got this, like, little bit of salinity to them. I like them, too. Yeah. And so, here's what I wrote for why I chose this pairing. (laughs) I'm just going to read what I wrote. You make the connections. Cold, dry, windy, salinity. Very much like Ireland or Wales in landscape. Celtic heritage in Galicia. Okay, so the connection there is that the landscape of Rias Baixas, which is now we're in the northwest of Spain, so just north of Portugal. Gotcha. um, It's it's much closer to kind of like that kind of Irish or uh, Welsh kind of landscape mm-hmm. um and i think i think of weathertop very much as kind of like that like the ancient ruins of uh of wales like a hill fort yeah yeah there. exactly so that's so that's how i picture that but there's not a lot of wine made in wales now that might be changing because climate change hooray the world's getting warmer hooray. and now they can grow grapes in england <laughs> um <laughs> good for england i've actually tasted some english wine it's not bad um, and so a couple of different uh, producers to look out for for Albarino are Morgadillo um, and Borgans. Those are a couple of my favorite kind of moderately priced Albarinos. So we've been going on the journey and I've been doing some uh, a bunch of 
place location pairings, I would say, but I haven't done a, a character in great pairing in a while. So let's so let's do one of those. Psyched. Psyched. So this is actually going to be a kind of unusual one because this is a character that you don't see in the movie because he didn't make the cut. But he's one of my favorite characters in the book. He makes it into the animated movie. Um, and that is Glorfindel, who is uh, an elf from Rivendell. He's also, like, super old, super wise, but pretty chill, pretty cool. I just, I really like Glorfindel. He basically does what Arwen does in the movie. Oh, he's the guy who, like, summons the yeah, he horse river spell yep and he comes the yep away. and he comes to rescue frodo and come and brings him to rivendell yeah he also gets and, a shout out in one of my favorite movies ooh. the martian oh that's right they're talking about like this they're talking about the operation to rescue matt damon and they keep using all these lord of the rings references and metaphors that's right. and Kristen wig gives them crap and then the head of nasa comes in and he's like for the record if we're doing this i want my code name to be glorfindel yeah that's right but isn't it sean bean oh yeah because yeah because yeah, sean bean sean that's like bean. What the whole yeah, joke is that's that the it. whole joke because he's he's boromir and he's lived through the council of elrond twice now um oh, that's right it's <laughs> yeah. the council of elrond yeah that's what, yeah, yeah, that's what yeah, it is see, yeah you even remember yep. my favorite movies yep. better than i do <laughs> it, I, I mean i think i died when i saw that in theaters i was like this is my favorite thing that's ever happened <laughs> uh, um, it's the nexus of <laughs> but anyway so glorfindel pretty badass pretty awesome and over, often overlooked. And so the grape that I chose to pair with Glorfindel is Pinot Blanc. Pinot Blanc is a white grape, um, as it sounds, kind of. Um, and it's one of it's most commonly found in Alsace, in the region of Alsace in France, kind of on the border of France and Germany. And um, and it's one of my favorite grapes. It's got this like really great intensity of kind of tropical fruit to it. Um, but still often is really, really dry. It can be sweet, but it's often really dry. Um, and it's just, like, really delicious and easy to drink. Think, think like, more full-bodied dry Riesling, kind mm. of. It doesn't have quite that acidity to it. And there will be some people who be like, they're nothing alike. But I think the fruit po profile can be sort of similar. It's just much richer with Pinot Blanc. But even though Pinot Blancs are totally awesome they're not one of the four noble grapes of alsace so oh, almost, made it, guys. almost made I'm it sorry. pinot blanc um so that's why i chose pinot blanc for glorfindel because he's often overlooked mm. so then speaking of arwen i figured we just we just go straight into another uh character and great pairing and and give arwen poor arwen her 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 due because literally in the book she is just there and when they get to rivendell like they don't she does not do anything and also some lady yeah and like you get the sense that there's something going on between her and aragorn but you don't really know if you read the appendices to the lord of the rings that happen that you can find after you finish the return of the king then you get her whole story but in the in the text of the book itself really not very much so, and the, like the next time you see her is just at the end when she marries Aragorn. So she doesn't get a lot of credit. So in that sense, I do really like that they made her more of a character in in the movie. Yeah, I, with I totally more agency. supported like, totally. bringing in 
you know, a couple of female characters that you could connect to and absolutely had agency and did stuff. Absolutely. Totally. So the grape that I'm choosing for Arwen is drum roll, please. Gamay! Woo! Woo! What's so, that? So, <laughs> so Gamay is the grape of Beaujolais. So, like we, uh, so the the wine that we were drinking last last episode in the Hobbit that was a Beaujolais. So that was made from the Gamay grape, and I love Gamay. I really, really do. It's like Pinot Noir, but a little bit silkier, a little bit darker fruit to it. It's like a little. It can be very fruity. It's a grape that often undergoes this thing called carbonic maceration. Yeah. Woohoo! Carbonic maceration. Carbonic maceration is is essentially when the primary fermentation of the grape, so you know, making alcohol, happens within the grape itself. And um and that usually lends a very kind of like fruity quality to the wine. Um, and Beaujolais and Gamay is the grape where you most often see this happen. I don't have a I don't have a reason why that's appropriate for Arwen. In my no, in my, no, like, no. Well, I like her. <laughs> no, but wait, and... no, no. I've got more reasons. But here's what here's what I wrote. Um, gr- growing in esteem and prestige. I think this is sort of talking about Gamay because Gamay and Beaujolais as a, as a region is growing in esteem and prestige. Um, it's becoming one of the one of the most highly esteemed wine regions in the world, but still it is often overshadowed, like Arwen, in the mm. books. Um, it's low in tannin and high in fruit, but still gorgeous and complex, just like her. Yes, she's gorgeous and complex. Yes, that's that's what I get. <laughs> right. I'll, no, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. I I I also think that you know like. I always it's like picture her in like her purple robes or whatever, her purple d- silk dress, yeah. and I think that's a good a good outfit to wear while drinking Gamay. Well, and if I can just be really shallow for a second, sure. I think Liv Tyler has a very peculiar but intriguing look about her. She does, you know? yes. And I think maybe the sort of the complexity of the grape you're talking about yeah. might be because she's not. Talking not, about it. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just. She has not been doing very much recently, and that is a bummer because I I like her. Yeah. She she was in the first Hulk, like the one with Edward Norton. Oh. But right. that was years ago. Yeah. I haven't seen her in anything for a long time. Well, it's probably even it's way harder for women in entertainment in all industries in all ways and walks of life, but certainly it's harder for women to escape typecasting than it is for men. Totally. Because even, I think, Mark Hamill was able to sort of, you know, pivot into voiceover and do a couple different roles, and Carrie Fisher had a few, but... Well, and... She wasn't Harry Met Sally, which is great, but she did, she was really she, tagged hard She was, she Leia, was, and... More and Mark Hamill was tagged as Luke. I think so, in a way. But on the other hand, Kate Blanchett but she she kind of was a little bit more established yeah. even when the Lord of the Rings. She also happened. a bit more of a shapeshifter. Like she, she played Bob Dylan. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. She's she's sort of escaped the. She's one of the very few women yeah. in Hollywood who've escaped like typecasting and just always being like the romantic lead or whatever. Yeah. She's she's. I mean, I love her career. I love that she's had such, and I love that she's. Hella, I guess they're calling it Hella. Yeah, in the new of hell. in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, exactly. It's supposed yeah, to be I Hell. Don't but... recognize her at all. I know. I have to keep reminding myself that that's who it is. Well, Ugh. I do recognize her. I'm just like, dude, you don't look 
She looks great. Yeah. She really does. So anyway, so we're we're not to Galadriel yet. Um, talk about Kate Blanchett, but we are in Rivendell first. And as I was saying last episode, to me, Rivendell is very much Tuscany. Ideal vacation spot. Everybody likes to eat and drink and sing and lots of art and it's beautiful and all that. And so last episode, I talked a little bit about some of the white wines that you find in uh, Tuscany. Today, I'm going to talk more about the um, the red wines, which is really what Tuscany is known for, and also what we're drinking tonight. Yeah. Woohoo. Yeah. Um, you'll find in this podcast that I am very uh, biased towards Tuscany. I really, really love Tuscan wines. So the main the main subregions within Tuscany are Chianti, um, Montalcino or Brunello di Montalcino, and Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, which is something I'm going to talk about in a later episode. Because dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and then there's stuff like what what I talked about a little bit earlier, um, just Tuscan reds and super Tuscans. So there's a there's a lot going on in Tuscany, and it is one of my absolute favorite wine regions in the world. Yeah, and so I think it's appropriate to talk about the red wines this time that we're in Rivendell because even though it's wonderful in Rivendell, the tone is much darker. Also, that Council of Elrond lasted like forever, and so I really hope that they drank lots of lots of delicious wine during that during that council. It lasted forever. How long did it last? It lasted a long time. It was like a bunch of days. They call it like yeah, like a I think summit. It was well, a summit of Elrond. You know, I think it was actually I think it was just like twelve hours oh. in in the book or something like that. But the, like it's where you get all the exposition for the book. Uh-huh. Um. And which is kind of cool that you don't get all of the exposition at the beginning. You get some of it. There's a little, there's like a little uh, prelude mm-hmm. intro, something like that, where it gives you a little bit of background to what you're about to read. But you don't get this whole like 20 page exposition of like the world and what's going on until halfway through the book, which is kind of cool because so you don't have to go through all that dry stuff at first and then it's given to you in a slightly more compelling context. Yeah, that's cool. Also, apparently it took them like many, many days to film that scene. Oh, yeah. Just because there's like so many different angles and like... Yeah, you gotta have a circle. Yeah, and, you know, like, yeah. Group shots. Yeah, and, oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really it sounds tough. Sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, totally. Infamously one of the hardest film uh, scenes to film. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few producers to look at for red wines. Let, let me take a look at what I compiled. <laughs> You'll find that I have more recommendations for this than others because I drink a lot of these more often. Okay, so for Chianti wines, um, some some recommendations. Monteriponi is one of my favorites. Salvapiana, Monsanto, Fontodi, Bariacolti Buono, and Volpaia. Um, those are those are those are some good ones. Again, these will be referenced in the show notes. Um, and then for Brunello and Brunello di Montalcino, the most famous is probably Biondi Santi. Um, and then there's Valdicava and Gianni Brunelli, who are awesome. And then the producer that we are drinking tonight, Antonori, who does, I believe, does the whole the whole thing. Does Chianti? Does Brunello? Does Super Tuscans? Um, the super Tuscan that the Antonori family uh, makes is called Tignanello, um, and it's awesome. It's not not cheap, but it's so good. 
Did you already go over the difference between a Tuscan and a Super Tuscan? Basically, just just so you know, most Tuscan wines are uh, Sangiovese based, mm-hmm. and that became like the the rule in the 1960s that there had to be a certain amount of Sangiovese in Chianti and in Brunello. But there were certain, some producers wanted to go against the grain, and they wanted to use French grapes like Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Syrah, and either just use those or blend them with Sangiovese. And so those are called Super Tuscans. Oh, I see. Yeah. Cool. And Antonori, the, the wine that we're drinking, the, fam- the Antonori family, they helped uh, start that movement, the Super Tuscan movement. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations! You made it to the end of part one of the Fellowship of the Ring. Since we're taking a little break here after talking more about Tuscany, I just wanted to say sorry that I'm talking like so much about Tuscany during these first few episodes. As I've said, I really, really like those wines, but I also wanted to clarify a couple things. One, the wine that we were drinking from Villa Antonori is actually technically a super Tuscan style because it's made primarily from Sangiovese, but it's got some Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Syrah in it. Also, Antonori is apparently the 10th oldest family-owned company in the world, with winemaking origins dating back to the 14th century. So that's another pretty cool reason to check them out. If you want to learn more about the wines of Tuscany and you haven't already listened to episode 2, Kill Bill and Sangiovese, please go check that one out. For now, tune in next time and see where the rest of the journey takes us. Pairing was created and produced by Emma Sherjarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. I am your host, Emma Sherjarko, and tonight I was joined by Winston Shaw. If you'd like more information, links, and clarifications on what we talked about this episode, please visit our blog on our website at thepairingpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at pairingpodcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. Feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website or on any social media platform. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, cheers. Cheers.